What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Crossing Broadcast. I'm your host, Kyle Pagan, and we thank you all for joining us. We got a good show today. We got Austin Krell, Sixers beat reporter for 97.3 ESPN coming on. We'll talk about the Joel Embiid trolling. We'll talk about where James Harden's at. We'll talk about free agency, summer league, all that stuff. We've got us versus the Inquirer. If you haven't seen that, we'll detail all that stuff. And uh, and we've got more right now. Let's bring on Kevin Kincaid. How you doing, buddy? How we doing, Pagans? Hey, a little bit of a uh, little bit of mic issue right there. The mic came out right before we went on, so I was a little muted. Sorry about that. Um, All good, man. All good. How was your weekend? It was good. It, um, I, I know the running thing over the winter was that my kids were always sick, so yes. we brought we brought that back for four or five days. We had a, a, a case of hand, foot, and mouth disease to navigate but we're all we're all good now so i don't i don't think it's going to be the non-stop thing the that uh that we had over the winter but it was good yeah low-key it's humid it's humid as balls out here pagan we're just surviving you know it is it is a wet hellhole as i think uh the cog and toboggan described it uh right now in Philadelphia. i don't know if we're in a tropical climate now i don't know if we are in the hottest climate now but i just feel like uh, maybe i'm getting older but i just feel like i am sweating more i'm irritated more by the heat and I went to the game on Sunday, the Phillies game, and I expected it to be pretty cool because obviously it rained and everything, thinking it would get all the humidity out of there. No, it was absolutely terrible. It was overcast. It was terrible. You walk around, you're just sweating. It, it, uh, it was a great game because they won and everything, but it was just, I don't know. It's been wild. It's been wild in Philadelphia. I guess it's wild out there right now in terms of, you know, this weather just absolutely sucks. But um, so I guess since you were busy all weekend, you didn't want to talk or you didn't get involved in everything that happened with uh with stuff about the Yankee. Uh, I, I know you saw it and whatnot, but you seem like you were a little bit busy and uh I yeah. promise everybody this is the last time we'll talk about it and we'll get it back to the sports conversations that you come to learn, to love, to listen to here. <laughs> because I just feel like there are so many people that have a lot of ties to the inquirer jumping down our throat about the Flyers hot mic situation devolving into Kevin calling out the hiring practice at the Yankee, then being turned on us into some kind of race baiting misogynistic article. So I'll give some people preference who have lives and weren't on the internet over the weekend. The Dean of Temple Journalism School, David Boardman, he's also the chair of the nonprofit that owns the Inquirer. So of course he has a problem with the article that calls out the company they own. Um, he said this in his tweets. Um, As a Philly sports fan, I generally enjoy crossing broad. As he's right, he does share a lot of our shit. I've seen it before. But as a journalist, educator, and father of sports-loving daughters, I'm disgusted by this column referring to Kevin's. It's filled with offenses to women, to people of color, and to journalism. The foundation notion that Gianna Hahn's question was not a good one is wrong. The implication that she wasn't qualified is ill-informed, sexist, and maybe racist. I love how he hasn't figured out the racist tone of it yet. He's just really searching for it, but he just threw in that it might be racist, and he'll find out later, and I'll let you know. Should be. Third, its implications about the Philly Inquirer's approach to diversity and hiring is ignorant, and the whole piece is lazily likely fueled by disgruntled white guys who either used to work at the Inky or wish they did. It's funny. You are the chair 
of the nonprofit that is uh, that owns the Inquirer, and you don't know whether we've worked there or whether we used to work there, but you do continue to read our stuff. And you know, one thing I want to say is first off, no one that has ever worked at Crossing Broad wishes they worked for the Inquirer. I would say that's why Kyle right now is a millionaire living on you know the beaches of Ocean City. Because he found a gap in the market for a reverent, reverent, fun sports content. And he was obviously right because he sold out. Now he's cashing it. Second, Kevin and I came on the episode on Thursday and said Gianna's question wasn't a bad one. Garnet Hemingway or whatever the hell his name is. He's a career fourth liner. It's July. There's (laughs) There's not much to ask right now. And third... If this dude is teaching kids at Temple that the Inky is some sort of crown jewel in 2023, I'll tell you what, I'm glad I chose marketing when I went to Temple because that is insane to me. What did you think about this when you first saw it? Uh, honestly, the negative feedback was not that much, like, to be quite honest. it was maybe, maybe, I just, like- maybe I just looked at it in a vacuum. I thought it was a little bit too really- much. We, well, I, yeah, I got a ton of text messages. I got a ton of like emails and like some phone calls from people saying, hey, that was a really good story. Like or or some version of like, I'm glad you said that or whatever. And think about it, man. I mean, like the people who agree with me, they're not going to like the tweets. They're not going to really you know, respond positively because they don't want people to know about it, you know, because they don't want to deal with the same shit that we deal with, which is just everybody accuses you of being a misogynist and a sexist and and all this stuff you know which was not i knew that i was going to step in that shit you know when i when i wrote about that topic um because it's kind of unavoidable you know like when the focal piece of the uh of the whole thing the pivot is off of a young woman who's in her mid-20s like of course you're gonna like it's unavoidable I, i wrote in the story like i got no nothing against this person i hope she does a great job whatever. I don't, I don't know her. I don't know most of the new people that the inquire hired, but the whole premise of that story was the reason, you know, that flyers guy was like snickering on a hot mic and saying shit about her. Um, and obviously had felt that way previously because he, he made reference to questions that were asked in the past. It's because there was not like any, any baseline respect there at all, you know? And the reason that there's not a, not a lot of respect, for some of the new, not all, but some of the new inquire hires that came in is because they were, some of them were handpicked and some of them were targeted and some of them were identified early in the process. And that's what I wrote about last year or two years ago, whenever it was, when I did that big, long 4,000 word story where I had a bunch of sources at the inquire talk about how disgruntled they were and how screwed up things were and how they messed up a lot of the initiatives that came after the, the temple study and the employee revolt. And uh, the bottom line is like, you know, when the employees revolted, right, at the height of the Black Lives Matter movement, I guess June or July of 2020, right, we could say, um, you know, the white editor resigned. They bought out a lot of the old white guys in the sports department, like the likes of like, you know, your Bob Fords and your Les Bowens and your Paul Dommel, which is they all took the buyouts and they they moved on, right? Because what happened was the Inquirer went to Temple, went to the Klein School of Media or whatever it is that Boardman runs, and they commissioned them to do a study on, you know, inquire, um, you know, diversity practices and how often do we have communities of color represented in our writing and how how diverse or not diverse our staff is. Right? This, this whole big audit, Kyle, like 
of what what the inquirer is doing and what we need to to do differently right so the the temple study of course comes back with the obvious thing that we all knew that the paper was too white and too old and not diverse enough and and all that right that was no secret to anybody as the employees noted when they were revolting right so so what do you do when you commission a study like that and the the results of the study come back to you well you got to act on the results of the study you have to get less white you have to get younger you have to bring in you know young women of color and and men of color you need asian representation and and black representation in the newsroom you need all that stuff you know so i don't think anybody like i guess a baseline thing nobody's nobody's disputing that right like the inquiry looked a certain way and i think most people probably agree that it probably needed to change you know so no no issue with that at all i think a lot of the old white guys too took the the buyouts they would have they would have told you the same thing but yeah it is probably too old and too white there's probably too many of us here you know what i'm saying well the, the reason why i saw the tweet initially is because les bowen liked the tweet and i follow les bowen and yeah. he liked david boardman's tweet who the reason for david boardman's school doing the study was the reason why les got bought out so that that's kind of like ironic there well yeah and, and and you know les would probably admit that even though he was one of the old white guys on the beat that yeah we probably do have too many old white guys here so again that's not some controversial thing that need that needed to be like stated or whatever so the inquirer did what they should have did and they made an effort they went on this diversity and equity and in- inclusion um task to to act on the temple report and to hire different people and to make the newsroom look a certain way that's fine nothing wrong with that but what they did was they cut corners and they brought in a sports editor, I was told by multiple people, who identified people that he knew early in the process and picked them as targets for these jobs. Some people he was connected through through the, the AAJA ta- sports task force and, and you know, other other people that he had previously, you know, was familiar with people he knew. And, and that's what annoyed a lot of people there, because when you were supposed to be going on this thing where um, Hey, we got to get younger. We got to get more diverse. You, you cast a wide net hypothetically, right? And say, Hey, let's see who's out there. Let's bring in the best young POC and female talent that's out there and open the doors to these people who've been disenfranchised in the past. Um, but it really wasn't like that. They kind of had targets like pre-identified said, we're going to bring this person. We're going to bring this person. We're going to bring this person in. And they had this thought Kyle to make like an all female of hockey beat. Right. Which, okay. Um, that's great. But I mean, you're telling everybody basically that like one of the qualifications is you have to look a certain way. And then the hockey knowledge is like a secondary or, or tertiary kind of thing. That's not not necessarily as as important. Right. So you put somebody on hockey who had never done hockey before. Right. I mean, because the argument people were coming back to me and saying like, oh, well, you're accusing this woman of being unqualified. Well, I know she was unqualified because she'd never done hockey before. So you can't say that somebody two years out of college who's never done hockey in a top five media market is qualified to do hockey. It's just not not a thing. And the people who make that argument, if you're going to tell me that that should be the case, then the Philadelphia Inquirer might as well be a blog because you got to have some kind of standard to be at the flagship media outlet of, of Philadelphia for however, however long now. You know, there should be different standards at the at the Inquirer for sure. So, again, no disrespect to her, nothing personal against her. But, you know, there's certain standards of qualification that you should have at the Inquirer. And those are taken, those are put off to the side because they identified specific people and they cut some corners in the process. One thing that is definitive and cannot be argued is that in the process of doing this, they made mistakes that got them in trouble with the News Guild. You know, for example, the story that we've been reporting on and the story that the News Guild put out on Twitter, I think, first, like two years ago 
when they talked about there was a discrimination of a pay uh, discrimination grievance, I think they were calling mm -hmm. it, because one of the new people that they brought in, a white person, was given a higher salary than a black person who was doing the same job but had more experience. So in doing this correction and bringing in these young men and women of color, which they should have done, they made some errors in the process that, that fucked things up with people who were currently there. You know what I'm saying? Because they had identified these people specifically and said, hey, I definitely want you to take this job. I'm going to give you a nice salary. I'm going to make you a nice offer, you know? And for, so that's the one thing. The other thing is there's editors, um, and, and this goes beyond the sports department too, there's people there who don't even live in Philadelphia. Yeah, that's wild. Yeah. That was one of the bogus perks that they offered him. They said, come work for the Philadelphia Inquirer, but you can live in Chicago. You know, like the guy who's the basketball editor for the Inquirer, he lives in Chicago. Uh, and they have a like a football, like something other editor person who lives in California. So the Inquirer, like, is really insulting everybody who lives here by saying that you don't even have to, in order to work for the Philadelphia Inquirer, you don't even have to fucking live here. I mean, think, think about that for a minute. So they know. And I'm speaking directly to Gabe Escobar here, who, has yeah. to, who thinks that like he's got to send out an internal memo, you know, disrespecting us every time we write something when he knows exactly what happened, that they did the right thing, but they did it in the wrong way. And they screwed up along the way and they cut a lot of corners. And in the process, they disenfranchised a lot of women and men of color who were qualified for those jobs, who didn't get a sniff at those jobs because there were some targets who were pre-identified. And that's a fact. I'm not making that up. I mean, then that's why whenever we do a story like this, they just use these, you know, they they send out a memo to the staff that just discredits us and, and talks about how bad we are, but they never dispute anything that we write because they know that we're right. So it's pretty much the short version of a long story right there. And that's, and that's what I wanted to ask you. Like, are you, were you annoyed about the bullshit? You know, like, like Gabe Escobar pulled, cause we got the internal email. Someone sent it to us. We saw it, you know, we know we we know what he wrote, and it was wild. It was kind of just it was baseless. It was uncredited. Like you, the, the the thing that pissed me off and was why I had enough with and why I went back at Boardman was because I know you just don't do this shit. Just be and, and you you don't you don't get one source, and then you're like, you know what? I think I got enough. I know you know we talk behind the scenes about okay, I'm chasing this story right now. Someone so mm -hmm. wants to talk to me. I got this source. I know you worked on some of these stories for almost a month. I've known you. I know you took this story and put the same level of care into it as you did chasing down Mike Missinelli and what the hell happened at 97.5 for a month, month and a half. I'm not just saying shit to say shit. I'm not making shit up. And I'm not, you know, part of what Crossing Broad does and part of the reason why we exist is because we're willing to write about things that other people are not. I mean, most people do not want to step into the shit of, of gender and race and all of that, you know, because you know that you're just going to have people who come out on the other end who say you're sexist, who say you're racist, who say you're misogynist and whatever. That's, that's fine. You got to live with it, you know? Um, but the, the bigger matter at hand here is that the, the, the legacy, like the most well-known media outlet in Philadelphia legacy, like this, you should aspire to, to want to work for the Philadelphia Inquirer. That should be like the pinnacle of journalism in, in Philadelphia. I mean, we've got some great people who work there. Like, don't get me wrong. This is not something like personal crusade against the Inquirer. I've never applied for a job at the Inquirer. I don't have anything against anybody at the Inquirer. I don't wish I worked there. Crossing Broad, by the way, is a better job than the Inquirer because we can write whatever the hell we want to write. And actually have fun doing it. You don't have some corporate ladder of stiffs who are editing your stuff and taking all the fun out of it, right? Um, but it's just they 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 went when they had this issue with the employee revolt and all that stuff, they acted on these things. It was a good initiative. It was an initiative that meant well, but they just did it in the wrong way. 
and they screwed up a lot of stuff in the in the in the process you know so that's that's the issue that i have and they kind of hide behind that and they just attack people and they say like well you know you hate women or whatever no i'm not saying that i'm saying that you targeted specific women and disenfranchise other women right so so that's that's all it is i mean but because it's a white guy saying it you get labeled with all the 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 ist stuff you know race sex sexist and all that stuff and i'm like no, I mean, like we have, we can have a real conversation about it. I've called Gabe Escobar like five times and left him like five voicemails. The guy never picks up the phone because he doesn't want to talk about it. And the question I would ask him is, I'd be like, bro, do you really believe this shit that you're sending in these in- internal memos? Or do you just like do it because you're trying to keep your keep your team together? Like, I, I get it. I get it. You know, but everybody at the Inquirer knows what's going on over there, which is why you only got pushback from like two people. You know, everybody else who texted me and called me said, you're right, but I can never say it publicly. So open invite for Gabe Escobar to come on the program. Come on the show, man. We'll come to you. Let's talk about it. We'll come to we'll you. Come to you. We'll come to you. Where do you live? Talk about hiring live? practices at the Philadelphia Inquirer. We'll have a good discussion about journalism. You know, you too, David Boardman. We'll go to you too. You come here, you come to us, or we go to you. We don't care. I'd love to talk to these guys. And that's the thing that I just, that's the thing. Another thing that just bothered me, man, this legacy media thing just thinks we are so beneath them. It doesn't matter that we we have David Edelman on and that we're probably covering Chinatown better than them and more fair than them. It doesn't matter that Snow the goalie just had Dan Hoferty on. Go check out that interview. It doesn't matter that we you know talk to athletes. We have sources. We have different uh, beat writers across the uh, across the city that come on all the time. It, it, it just doesn't matter that they just sit behind their computers, send internal memos, and think we're just we're just beneath them. And it's just they, we pine for the days when newspapers were king. Well, that it's was like the best bar for his end brand on the. Uh, on the I, well, there's, there's, I mean, you're such a better person than me because that email would have been published two seconds when it got in my hand. Well, Thank I'm not going to risk anybody. Yeah, Thank God we I, have you running the ship. No, but you run the, you know, you run the 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 risk of them like, you know, what are they doing? Taking em- employees' phones when they walk in the door at the Inquirer building or like going on some like search to try to like out our sources or something. And that's bullshit too. I mean, he works in the media business. Like, you know how sources work more than anything. Like if you're mad at your, if you're more mad at your people instead of me, then what does that say about you? You know, but there's, but you touched on, man. It's like this, this larger thread of like macro level legacy media and they look at blogs like us and they look at people like us and they think we're pieces of shit they have no respect for us like i have a journalism background man i have a journalism degree i've been doing philly sports for 14 years i'm not nobody so when they like thumb their noses at us and they and they use these these big words and they say you know our journalism is impeccable and all this shit it's like who the fuck are you you know, like like you are not any better than any one of us. We're all doing the same thing. You know, I mean, part of the reason that newspaper is struggling with subscriptions and whatnot is because there's like a shift in media and they just don't want to. I don't know. They don't want to acknowledge it or they don't want to play the same game or whatever. But I, I you know, it, it's it's like I said, man, I would just wrap it up by saying, like, it's nothing personal. It's never been anything personal with any of these people. Like Crossing Broad is like an ombudsman in, in these issues that people don't want to talk about because they don't want the Twitter mob going on there and calling them a misogynist. You know, um, and for Boardman to say, like, I've got two daughters bro, or I've got daughters. I got two daughters, too, man. I got sidewalk chalk for my daughters that's on my shirt right now. You know, so don't say the like misogynist shit. If I'm a misogynist. I'm the worst misogynist in the world because I've got a, a wife and two daughters, you know? So what did I get myself into if I really hate women? You know what I'm talking about? It's just these dumb arguments that aren't aren't based in anything. But yeah, come on, Gabe Escobar, come on on the show, man. We'll talk about it. We'll talk about journalism and we'll talk about how you guys cut corners with your hiring practices and how you screwed a bunch of qualified men and women of color out of it in the process. You know, why don't, why don't we talk about that? 
I love vindictive Kev. I love vindictive Kev. All right, we put a we put a pin in that. We put a pin in that until our next. Uh, now let's get it back to the Eagles. You want to talk about the Eagles? Eagles six one zero six three two. What do you think? You think with uh, Olumabi Eskazi? You think who's going to be the third wide receiver this year? Or do you think maybe Rashad Penny makes the team? Six one zero six three two. We're taking your calls yeah. now. Phone lines are open. Yeah. Um, but first, uh, a message from. Merrill Reese with Bradford White Water Heaters. <laughs> uh, I can't do it as good as Russ does. Russ does a, Russ does a really good Merrill. He does the. He, uh, he's he does wasting the his time writing betting articles. He should be on TikTok just making money off of Trump impersonations, uh, Merrill Reese impersonations, just impersonations in general. He should be the Frank Caliendo of Pottstown, or Pottsville, wherever the hell he lives. <laughs> I love how everybody confuses that. Yeah, like pot, like pot, pot, sound, Pottsville thing, Pottsville and Bumblefuck. I guess the well, I guess the big story going on right now is the Sixers stuff. We're gonna have Krell come on in 15 minutes. I actually forgot to tell people he he got moved back from uh, 12:15 to 12:35. So we'll talk about the Joel Embiid trolling and all that stuff. I guess Daryl Morey is on with uh, the Cuz right now, or he just did an interview with get him. the burgers. Yeah, get the Baconators out. Not making weight jokes there. Just there's a picture of them at a at a at a interview a couple years ago where they had a pile of wendy's sitting there on the table i think because they were sponsoring they were a 97.5 sponsor and, and still are or whatever so the baconator joke is not about anybody's weight it's about um you know it's bad enough pagan that we're misogynist and sexist but we wouldn't <laughs> want to be weight um i do i don't want to be fattest body shamers yeah you know but uh but uh yeah we can talk about some other stuff in the meantime you want to punt on the i want to talk about about the snow the goalie interview about the flyers calling out the sixers over scheduling if you didn't read that article we'll talk about it right now but go on crossingbroad.com after the show and uh kev i thought you had a really good article about the whole scheduling and how um dan hilferty called out david edelman who was a friend of his for being on our program and saying that the only thing he really doesn't like about this whole situation with the Sixers is that they do think they are disadvantaged via the scheduling. Kevin, you take it away. You wrote it. Yeah. Um, so Edelman came on the show in June, uh, the snow, the goal, you guys got Hilferty and he, and the one thing that he disputed from the Edelman interview was that it's not a collab. Um, Cause David said something to the effect of like, you know, the flyers get their days, the, uh, there's the events and the, the concerts and Disney on ice and all that shit that's scheduled or whatever. Then the Sixers get their, their pick from there. So there seems to be a dispute between the two sides here as to like Hilferty says, like if the Flyers take one, the Sixers take one, the Flyers take one, the Sixers take one. It's a collaborative thing. Um, Edelman and the Sixers have, have kind of said that in other forums um, too. So it seems to be like there's a discrepancy in how those, those non hockey and non basketball nights are kind of blocked off. Like, you know, does Disney on ice get put aside and then the Flyers and the Sixers sit down together and they say, OK, now here's the available dates that are left, you know, blah, blah, blah. But um, I think that's not necessarily um, the the most pressing point in all of this. I think, you know, you remember when Edelman came on with us and he said, you know, we have more back to backs on average than most of the mm-hmm. NBA and we play more five games and seven night stretches than most of the NBA able to i was able to go back and, and look over most of that it's a it's a, like a huge task that's why we need an intern to look this shit up for us but <laughs> here's the the stuff that i came up with the sixers this year were one of eight teams that twice had to play five games and seven nights the other 22 teams did this once or not at all so top half there they played this year 13 back-to-backs while seven teams played 14 and five teams played 50 so they're actually middle of the pack 
in back to backs. This year they were not on the top end of back to backs. Sixers played 43 times this year on one day of rest, which was top half of the league. Same for two days rest, which is also on the higher side. So they generally just had a more compact schedule. Um, I also found out that the back to back issues kind of crested during the process era, and then they moved closer to the league average. Um, and the, the caveat here is that Comcast sold the Sixers to HBSE back in 2011. Because remember when the Sixers and the Flyers were, were owned by the same company, it was like, uh, you know, level level playing field, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, David said that they only played one home Christmas game over the past 11 years. That's true. Um, they've played three on the road during that time frame. But part of the reason they didn't play home Christmas games or any Christmas games because they sucked ass. Yeah, they sucked. So, you know, right. Um, over recent years, too, this is the final one, the five and six. So, so here's what I would say. Here's like a visual explainer. If you're listening on the podcast, I'm moving my hands in different ways. So the back-to-backs were more of a problem 10 years ago, and they've gotten better. The five and sevens have increased over the years. So what David was saying on the podcast is true. There's just caveats for for context there that it, in some periods of the last 10 years, it was worse than, than other periods. But here's the thing, Pagan, that I was kind of thinking of, and nobody's really talked about this at all. But the Flyers play a ton of back-to-backs too. Yes, I saw that. Yeah, so so like I know that it's in Comcast's best interest to have the Sixers there as a tenant because they're just making a ton of rent money, right? But what about the Flyers having their competitive advantage by not having the Sixers in the building? I mean, mm-hmm. they get right a first refusal for everything. I mean, we got Matty Mitchkov at 26 years old on primetime television whenever he wants to be on primetime television. So I would like to hear more on that actually like hey doesn't it benefit the flyers if they get if this tenant leaves and then they own their building they got they can prioritize the flyers the wings disney on ice uh the the, you know villanova basketball games the big five stuff that they're going to do they can they can control their own destiny in the same way the sixers want to control their own destiny and then you got all five teams all five pro teams in philly who are the number one tenant in their building and there's no compromise at all like compromise is great man like my wife goes to yoga and i watch the kids but if I didn't have to compromise, I would like that too, you know? I mean, so so maybe it makes sense that they both just, you know, go their own ways and then they can do their own things with the schedule and they don't have to collaborate on anything. Yeah, and I want to actually piggyback on that point about the whole hub that, they, uh, that they're that they planning on building. Um, the, the Later in the, art, or later in the uh, interview, if you listen to it with Dan Hilfer and the goalie, they talk about how they want to build an entertainment hub. They want to put in high-rise apartments. They want to put in restaurants. They talk about a sports museum and everything. They kind of lose me on that in a way because we've been hearing about the sports museum for 10 years. Xfinity Live was not supposed to be the only bar that went in there when it was supposed to go in there. The eSports arena before the pandemic was supposed to be an office building as well. And then you kind of get to the yeah. whole point, you know, where I guess I would have to, if I was the Sixers, I would look at this and be like, I don't understand this entertainment hub being a selling point for me staying. When if I get approved in Chinatown, I have all the infrastructure for an entertainment hub already there. I actually have a better entertainment hub already built that has high rise apartments that has businesses right down the street, you know, that has a half of a mall that I can turn into whatever I want, as well as build high end retail or retail in general outside of my arena. So I think that's, I I think, you know, when Hilferty was talking, he, his mind was in the right place, but I was just kind of listening to the interview being like, I, if I'm if I'm David Alderman, I don't, I don't see that. Well, here's the thing too with Dan with with Dan is that he's relatively new to the job. I think he's got like a good larger level understanding, mm-hmm. kind of like what what benefits Comcast here. But yeah, I mean, there's really nothing that's been that's been built there for you know they put Xfinity Live up, and um, you remember what the like the blueprints for for that looked like, like how big? Yeah. It was? Okay, so 
Xfinity Live, maybe people in the chat can corroborate, but but Xfinity Live is supposed to be much bigger than it actually ended up being. Uh, mm. The plot of land was larger and there was more that was supposed to go in there. I don't really remember what happened with that. I do remember, like, for example, like, like that was right around the time where you were coming out of the recession. Um, so I don't yeah. know. If that, I don't know if that had something to do with it, which that affected Subaru Park at the same time, too. But um, they've had plenty of time to you know, to bring the sports complex up and, you know, make it more interesting and do, do things. And, um, I, I do agree. Like, it's like, there's gotta be more down there. You know, if you want to make it, if you're going to build the idea that this is going to be like a hub for sports in Philadelphia, then it's gotta be more than like one small live complex and three arenas, like build some shit, shit around it. You know what I'm saying? It's like, it's because I hear people say like, well, the, you know, sports complex is special. And, you know, I think people need to realize how good we have it here. Well, I mean, it's, it's not really much there. It's still, it's still like the novelty is that all of the stadiums are there. Yeah, it's a piss soaked parking lot. Like, <laughs> I, I just, like, people that are like, they're all in the same area. It's like, sure, I understand, but like, yeah, diversity. So I like Dan's ideas, but now he's inheriting like the last 15 years of Comcast messaging, whether he likes it or not, where it's like, okay, well, if you're going to, it's like the the judge from from Caddyshack, you know. We're waiting, you know. So, like, if you're gonna do it, do it. And like, if the Sixers, I, I think his messaging was pretty smart on the Sixers thing, though. If this thing is like, if the Sixers want to be part of it, they can be part of it. If they don't, they don't have to be part of it, you know. Um, but sure, I mean, I, I would, you know, look at the Sixers leave and the Flyers then have right of first refusal and everything in their own building and can set their own schedule and they work with the Phillies and the Eagles to build some more shit down there. Yeah, they can do it. They can do it by themselves and they'll be fine. The, the one thing I did talk about, and he started off the clip with talking about how they're trying to alleviate parking, which I think is probably the number one issue for people who are are down there getting out of games and stuff, yeah. getting in sometimes too. Um, I don't. I'm just I, obviously we don't know where they're building the restaurants, they're building the high end places, they're building the bars, blah blah blah, or the sports museum. I'm just thinking, you put more buildings and you take away traffic spots. Wouldn't that bring more traffic and and not alleviate? people or people leaving in a timely fashion i i don't know i mean obviously i'm sure they had they're smarter people than me on it but you know kind of just using common sense it's tough man yeah i mean you got to ask serious questions about that and then also they might they probably run the risk of the same thing that the sixers are having with chinatown right now too where it's like you ask the south philly residents it's like hey they're fine with how it is now i guess but you know, if more apartments go up near that first like row of houses, I can't remember the name of the neighborhood group that represents that area. But, you know, you start to go down Broad Street. I mean, you get it gets turns residential pretty quickly, you know, so you yeah. got to think, think about that at the same time. I, I mean, I, I'm all for the idea, man. I, I think the sports complex is fucking boring, like to be quite honest, like the novelty is that all the teams are there. Mm -hmm. So people like this idea of like uniqueness. OK, I can go, you know, basketball, football, baseball, hockey are all here. Great. All right. Well, well what else is there? Just X Xfinity Live. You know, so <clears throat> I think there's got to be more substance to to all of that. You know, I think it's a very just Philadelphia thing. It's like, oh, you know, we've gone to the sports complex for 40 years. I don't think there's anything special about it. It's unique. It's 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 unique, but it's not special. That's like, yes, unique is the right word. I get the distinction there. Like, you know what I'm hinting at? Yeah. Unique is the right word. It's, it's yeah. nothing special. Um yeah. Talk to us about, well, speaking of a place that takes forever to get out of, I've only been to one game, but I got lucky. I parked in like the way back of the Union um, parking lot. I don't know if you know where I'm talking about. I think it's by a smokestack or something like that. I really just shit the bed. I should have went into one of those $15 parking lots or $20 parking lots. They do 
in the neighborhood. Yeah. But it was my first time there, I was in the middle of Chester. I thought my car was going to come out and I was going to be on top of uh, cinder blocks or something. So I didn't yeah. do it. So I got waved all the way to the back, but it ended up working out because I ended up, I, I was uh, able to, you know, kind of revert traffic and stuff and, and, and get out. But I heard that uh, parking there, getting out of there is insane. Maybe that's how, maybe that's our indicator that the union have arrived in popularity. It's just as shitty getting out of there as it is getting out of the sports complex, you know? They also shut down that one parking lot because they're building that whole center and everything. Yeah, actually the history, you know, is that that parking lot where the training fields are, I mean, that used to be, that used to be only parking and they cut it in half in 2015 to put the training fields on there. And then they got the rest, they got rid of the rest of it because they're putting this, uh, it's called the WSFS bank complex. It's going to be a big, like a ton of turf fields where like kids can play and, you know, indoor there's going to be an indoor facility and some outdoor and whatnot a huge soccer complex on there but yeah now you got to walk like a friggin' mile to get like on the other side of the to get to the parking on the other side of the thing and they got like temporary lights set up so i'm carrying my four-year it's like 11 o'clock at night i'm carrying my or 10 10 o'clock or whatever i'm carrying my four-year-old on my shoulders and we're walking down this path that has like temporary like diesel powered yeah. lights or something on the thing i'm like all right well i'm all for them growing and expanding down there but it's just like yeah, that's a that's a nightmare getting out of there too, you know. So not so. knowing if the creature from the Black Lagoon is going to come out of the woods and just tear <laughs> you apart and throw and bring you down to the uh, to yeah. the water, it's like a mutated, like a like some mutated sea bass or something like this. Yeah, you probably parked in lot sea pig and like I all the way. Lot sea, dude. Look how far I am. Yeah, that's like, what I, I was. Park, I didn't park in the first lot seat. I parked in the second lot seat, Kev. Yeah, the second yeah. one. Yeah, I parked in the third one. I don't. I think there's like I think there's grass growing through the cracks in the asphalt in the th- third part of uh, Lot C because I thought I could sneak out Highland, Highland Avenue up there on the left left side of your screen if people are watching. But uh, that's what I yeah. did. Yeah, they're pushing all the parking up to like uh, 291 and and lots in there, which is like good for them. They're expanding, man. But I think it's like a good example of like you know if if you build, I think there is a parallel here. It's like if you look at what the union are doing with Subaru and you think about what Comcast is talking about at the sports complex. Then, yeah, you got to think about like, is it going to make it even tougher for fans who already sit there and are stuck there for a while? You know, so you got to think about functionality just as much as anything. But, you know, the union have this master plan with the city where they want to put all the shit in there and have the subway start, have the train stop be right in front of the stadium. And I just think we need more innovation and more ideas in general. You know, it's funny because like in the Sixers, I don't know how much you pay attention to this, but in the Sixers, like arena discussion on Twitter, I see like I see like developer Twitter. It's an interesting subsection of Philadelphia. Like developer Twitter is all like, we just need like their whole thing is like, we just need more ideas. I mean, you need to like act on stuff. You know, it's like, why can't Philadelphia have good things? Yeah. Why shouldn't Philadelphia have cool things and unique things and interesting things? That's that's like the heart of the debate between like the the NIMBY people and the developers, because you're trying to walk a line between not you know, forcing people out of their houses or raising their rents or stuff like that versus saying like Philly's a big city. Like, why can't we have good things too? You know, I agree hundred percent. It's, like it's like the poo pooing of ideas, you know, as a, as a knee jerk, you know, reaction, you know? Yeah. So, oh, yeah. speaking of everybody asking, why can't we have good things? Let's, let's bring on our, our resident Sixers <laughs> beat reporter from 97.3 ESPN, Austin Krell. Thank you. Oh, Krell. I appreciate it. Where are you at right now? I am actually in my in my office at, at work. So corporate, <laughs> we're, getting some, we're getting some corporate action right here. From wait, 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 Mike Gell's got you your own office, or no, 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 no. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm good at my job, but I'm not that good at my job. <laughs> not everybody's got cushy jobs like we do, Pagan. Yeah, we just, yeah, we, 
I'm actually um, dressed up today wearing a t-shirt, my Super Bowl champions t-shirt. Usually I'm in a sweatshirt and hair's halfway messed up and stuff. Kevin's got a hat on and stuff. Yeah. 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 We actually I've look got, I've got a dirty, yeah, I've got a dirty black band t-shirt on that my daughters defaced this morning. And I didn't even realize it was dirty before I came in and did the show. So, so go figure. Yeah, Krell, did you um did you watch the the, the or did you listen to Maury on with the cuz? I was able to listen to a bit of it, but I was also in a in a meeting, so I oh. couldn't I couldn't listen to all of it. My understanding from what I've been told is that it was not exactly the best appearance of of uh, of Daryl's career on, mm-hmm. on a radio really? show. That's what I, I. That's what I've been led to believe. Now, granted, it might have been that he said things that were not agreeable to those who were listening. So maybe that is swindling the uh, the the impression that that inter- interview gave. But from what I can gather, it was not great. You know, for for me, any time that Daryl can just get offline, I think is good for Daryl. So I would actually just put that as a check mark for the cuz right there that he was able to get Daryl away from his phone for 30 minutes to an hour. Um, what do you, what do you get about that? You're, you're, you're level headed. You, uh, you understand the nuance that, you know, obviously the guy doesn't, you know, he's not surfing Twitter 99% of his day. Like but me, the irrational person thinks that, do you think Daryl's too online? Are we, are, are there too many, um, too many gifs, too many trolling. Like, can we just maybe have a normal off season for once? Is that too hard to ask? <laughs> well, I was saying this the other day. Like, it would be nice that they could just sign like a single player to like a multi-year deal. Like a, and I don't mean like a like a role player. I mean like a starting level player to a multi-year deal. And that way, like, okay, these pieces are in place. They will be in place for you know uh, the foreseeable future. That would be you know it makes the job a lot easier when you have you know, one plus one with James and you have, you know, and he and himself is a mercurial dude, as we all know, uh, you know, it, it definitely has the ability to, to, to set some things on fire. I, I would say like, look, it, if you could, if you would advise any, you know, regular employee in any company, whether it be like a, you know, a doctor or uh, someone in, in, in the financial services industry to get off Twitter, you would probably advise, if you, if you can say that to them, then you would probably say that to, to the guy running a, a basketball organization. Um, now, having said that, I do think there is an element of like overreaction. Like, he, it isn't like he's having an active back and forth with fans about things and, you know, trying to be disrespectful or condescending. I think like the whole crumble cookie thing was him just trying to stick up for his player, which I think is what anyone, you know, should be doing. In that spot, if you're just trying to keep that guy on board, when that guy has been mentioning, you know, trade rumors and whatnot, um, and then you know, obviously, he was very aware of how people felt about Paul Reed. Um, Marcus Hayes wrote his glorious column about how, uh, you know, about how it was a PR move. You can debate the the, the factual factualness of that or how fair I, I gotta, that was. I gotta interrupt you for a second because I I gotta defend Marcus Hayes because I thought the same thing. <laughs> I was like, this is a this is a move to appease the fans. And once me and Marcus Hayes are thinking the same way, that's why I think I gotta I might have to put my two weeks in there, Kev. It just yeah, but you know it's funny, man. It's it's just what do we always come back to with the Sixers? It's like optics again. Like optics don't really matter. Like at the end of the day, does it matter that Daryl Morey is responding to like um uh, what's the guy from reference or whatever the hell it was called about the no rights to Ricky Sanchez, not Spike, Mike, 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 yeah. He's responding to him with like a like a mean girls like gif or whatever. At the end of the day, does that matter? No, 
But no. like sometimes you feel like saying to him, like, dude, just read the room. Like everybody's down on the team right now. Like there's no like there's nothing negative about being on Twitter and joking around. But like now's not the time for that shit. Just like, like you know, I'm not trying to channel my like boom, my angry boomer thing. Because like at the end of at the end of the day, it, it doesn't it, it's not a big deal. But it just it just looks dumb sometimes. You know what I mean? I don't want to hear the Sixers until October. Like that's what I, I don't. I don't want to hear about the six. Yeah, like you're off. You're far off the sideburn. You're so far off the sideburner that you're like off the stove completely right now. So just yeah. go, like go. Just make some signings. Come back. <laughs> Not that big of a deal. But it's, it's sometimes like you got to just like kind of have yeah. a feel. Have a feel for it. You know. Uh, I would. I would say this about like the whole situation with you know with the mark with the uh, Marcus Hayes column and you know the, the signing of Paul Reed. I would say this like. I think once you have a very good grasp of the collective bargaining agreement that the league operates under, it then appears less of a PR move and more of like, okay, like there was no punitive nature really of signing this guy. And he's been a good backup to Joel. There's some upside there left to tap into. Um, if you get to the games early enough, you'll see him working on his jumper. And he, and when he's open, he, I mean, granted everybody should belt well in an empty gym, but I mean, that, that, it's not like he's missing over and over. That kid is getting better as a shooter. Um, so, I mean, I do think there is an element of like, you know, there, there is a, there's a worthwhile investment there, especially when you figure out, when you, when you factor in that they had his bird rights, there was no downside to it. Why not? You know, and it's, is it a PR move? In some degree, maybe. In, other, in, another, in another sense, like there's no downside. And he is like the one guy who, who as a role player has kind of been a consistent positive on the bench the last year or so. So why not? Maybe Nick Nair says I can move him to the four, which is what I've heard. As well, that they are, you know, trying to figure out a way they can move him around positionally. So, you know, it, it, it's it's whatever to me. Like it, it it keeps, you know, it keeps some kind of something in place that they had last year, which I think is important in continuity sense. But I mean, the whole trolling thing that people are upset about. Let me ask you guys this: Do you think like, what do you think was the was the part that Joel was trolling about? Because to me. I kind of got lost in the whole, like, what is, what is he trolling here? Because people were upset about the interview he gave, right? And then, you know, he says, like, buddy, look at my middle name. And, like, but that's not really trolling. Like, trolling is you are intentionally inciting an incident with something you say to gauge your response. And granted, Joel probably knew that it wouldn't be received well, but that was also, like, days ago. It, it, I feel like trolling has to be active in the moment. So to me, the whole thing yesterday was, like, you were reacting after the fact, and he's just sort of saying, like, you know, I mean, I think he was trying to put out the fire by saying I'm just trolling. When yes. in reality, by trolling, he was creating a new fire because people are like, why are you trolling us? Yes. Like, I don't think that was an actual troll. A troll is you are intentionally in the moment trying to incite response. 110% I agree with you. There was no signs of a troll in that interview. Usually he would give a snide remark. I think there was that Jake Fisher uh, article last year where it was like Sixers fans want to trade me and then I, I I'm pretty sure uh, Jake wrote that he laughed after that and stuff like there's like you, you could see instances this guy's very calculated that he knows when he's trolling people he's been doing it since he wanted a date with yeah. Rihanna back in 2014 like this guy knows what he's doing he's calculated so I 100% agree with you that like he said he was trolling when he really wasn't trolling to try to fan the flames and now, like you just said, was why are you trolling this fan base who has done nothing but latch on to you for your first two years of your career when you didn't play one game through the whole process, through six years of losing in the second round? Why are you trolling the fan base? 
I don't want to hear from you until October. You can do all the interviews you want in the world. You can go to Michael Rubin's parties. I don't care. Live your life. But no dumb shit like we just got yesterday. Just no nothing dumb. You don't deserve it. After game six in the fourth quarter and after game seven, you've lost that. You've lost that luxury. And I would say the same thing if Jalen Hurts put up a – a dud in the uh, the conference round against uh, the 49ers or the Giants. But no, he hasn't. And Bryce Harper the same way if he put up a dud against the, the Padres. But no, they're heroes for a reason. They're number one and number two, wherever you rank them, in Philadelphia for a reason because, like, they just don't do this dumb shit sometimes. Yeah. Uh, I, no, I would just say real quick, like, again, it's like uh, – I would agree with you guys that like there was no trolling in the quote itself. Like the tr- the whole trolling part of it came on the back end, you know. But again, then you're just asking yourselves: Are we are our Sixers fans overreacting to a, a quote that was innocuous? You know, everybody wants to like everybody looks at quotes and they want to like read between the lines. They want to see something that's not there. They want to say, "Oh, this is really what he meant." Sometimes you just got to take things at face value. Now, maybe he was just speaking off the cuff and saying, like, I just want to win a title more than anything. And maybe he didn't even intend to diss at Philadelphia or suggest that he wants to leave. Like, that's entirely plausible, too. So, you know, you have that element of it where people just are, I think people are naturally going to overreact to everything anyway. You know, I mean, every time like the Eagles coordinators get up there at a press conference, it's like, oh, what did he really mean by this? Maybe he didn't really mean anything. Maybe he just meant exactly what he said. You know, like some, sometimes you can sometimes you need to look at things at face value instead of kind of like digging into stuff that might not be there. Yeah. And I mean, like, look, he has said many times to us, like on the record, he said, like, you know, I wouldn't you know, I, I wouldn't blame them if they traded me for Steph Curry and, uh, you know, and Clay Thompson. Like he's saying things that I think he in a sense kind of feels because he does have that freedom of speech. But like. You know, it, obviously, he's not going to be traded like for anybody. He's J- Joel Embiid, but I think you could make the case like maybe in his head he's thinking like, you know, if they decide to trade me, I would want to be in a place where I could win. Which in this league is not really hurt him. You don't trade the guy who won MVP, but to him, it's just like business is business, you know. And whether he actually believes that, who knows? But I, I do think there is a you know, I, I think when, when as fans, especially as passionate as these fans are you tend to assume the absolute worst case and like assume that it's a a pointed, uh, you know, gasoline, you know, at you. When in reality, it's just like, no, you just, he's thinking about his life and his business as an NBA player and like things change, you know, there there are sometimes opportunities you can't pass up, whether that be him requesting a trade, whether that be, someone you know whether the being the sixers being like we have this package we have to move them and i think you know there is a light to that but also like let's be real i mean you know he's been loyal to this town and this city through a lot of different things that were you know not great optically and both on the court and um you know as a result like he, he looks around he's like well my old buddy jimmy butler who you all let go is uh you know is is having is thriving in miami he and could have asked out. He could have asked out it at a million times along the way. He could have pulled a Ben Simmons and said, "I'm not showing up." He could have left after. He could have requested a trade after the Jimmy thing. Like, yeah, I mean, it's a good point. You know, he's he's had while while there's been a revolving door of people around him. Like, he could have went the same path as some of those people and said, "Hey, I want out too." You know, but to his credit, maybe, he hasn't. You know, maybe Ben Simmons beat him to it. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, what's, you know what's funny is like yeah. 
looking at like because whenever there's something like this happens, there's like news that, and you get you get Jimmy Shapiro from Bet on Bet Online, who you know your 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 emails on the PR list, so you get all the distributions about their new odds, and the second highest odds behind the, behind the Knicks were of course the Brooklyn Nets, and so you're thinking like, well, what if like. <laughs> This all ends up with Joel getting traded to Brooklyn, and he ends up back with Ben Simmons. <laughs> you're just, you're just, you're so sloppy, man. When did the NBA become so so sloppy, man? Just like all this like off season shit. I don't know because because we had Ken, Kenny, uh, one of the Chinatown guys, on last week, and he's like, you know, I'd rather be talking about Dame, and I was like, I, I wouldn't. I'd rather be talking about yeah. this, the, the sloppy shit or whatever. I well, think we the, lost the, the thing about the thing even now you got me. The thing about right. Dame is like, I think is at least fairly annoying is like, you know, the Blazers fans have treated him like God forever. And he is kind of like back and forth about this whole like I'm in, I'm out, I'm in, I'm out, sending messages to the front office publicly, you know, and then finally it's like I'm out. And you know, now, now it's like, I only want to go to Miami and I won't go anywhere else. And there's no trade package that anyone else can give that will, you know, that will, that can, and he's kind of like hamstringing them. So I do feel bad for the Blazers fans in a sense. But I mean, this is like Adam Silver's NBA. Like this, did this ever really happen, Kevin, under the uh, David Stern NBA? Like, like there was never this degree of like, and I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but like player empowerment was not really a significant cultural foundation. For the league back then. No, no, and player empowerment has been great for the profile of the league and just getting pushing attention in there. It's been great for the media because it gives us plenty of shit to to talk about. But what what else has it really helped? I don't know. You got all these people who are just more more interested in like would rather fuck around with the trade machine on ESPN, and then when the actual season starts, they're like, oh, you know, like they can, they can give you all these like they can give you a million different trade scenarios, but they couldn't like tell you what a what a, a hammer action is. You know what I mean? So it's so yeah. it just it just tells you like. Not that I would expect the average fan to even Sorry, know sorry that. I don't know what a hammer action is, Kev. <laughs> no, no, no. But I, I'm not. But the point I'm trying to make is like they care more about all the the ancillary shit than the, like the actual product itself or the game itself. Whereas like you know the NFL, for instance, has you know fantasy and betting and all this all this stuff surrounded it too. But then people are also like dug in, like entrenched on NFL game days too. And it's like I, I get the, I get the sense that people just don't care about the games themselves. As much as all the window dressing, all the sloppiness, all the rumors, all the trade machine stuff, all the all the whatever, you know. I wouldn't well, say it's, it's it's less that they care. I just think the games mean more in the NFL. I think I mean I always go back to like the 2021 season. I think it was they didn't the Sixers didn't have a memorable game against a competitor who played their full staff, full lineup, the whole entire second half of the All Star break. So you could never gauge yeah. these guys. How like, they were? How do they, yeah, how do they stack up against the U? I think Utah was the number one seed that year. Uh, how do they stack up against the Lakers, or like a two seed that year? Like just these guys that, like you know, they would play, you know, the Timberwolves, and Cat would be out, or the Milwaukee Bucks would play the the Sixers, and Ben Simmons would have the flu or something like that, or Joel Embiid would would be out. So like you could never gauge it, and I think that's what kind of kills the NBA. It was like, well, how competitive are these guys really? And then you see teams like. Jimmy Butler and the AC, who you know barely got in, maybe they didn't take the season that that seriously, the regular season that seriously, and then they were in the NBA Finals. I just, I don't know. The balance of power is weird. The competitive nature of it is weird. You know that in the football, it's like you got to win every, you got to win every week, or you could, you know, the margins are just. Yeah. A little well, you know what's kind of funny is like, you know, everyone making a big, like the whole thing this whole off season, and really the second half of last season was like the whole 
the new CBA, what does that mean? And people are like, well, we don't even have the new CBA for you just about to start. You know, like how do we how we deal with your jobs? And it's like, well, you know who you know who bar who, who is fighting for the CBA is the players. Like you have CJ McCollum, a very you know high level player in this league, who is the president of of, of the you know the NBPA and you know all the VPs under him. And yet, when you look at the actual nuts and bolts of the CBA, it's very hard to find things in that pact that are clearly pro player. And like one of the things like I've talked about with you know representatives of different agencies is like like my god where where are the player benefits here which part which part of this benefits the guys who you know who are the ones drawing in the money here and uh you know i, I was listening to a podcast last night and like the one thing that i do think is interesting is eventually there's going to be a time where there's a guy where there's a player out there in the near future who his contract is so inflated that he's going to be making a million dollars per game and what do you do about the whole you know, load management. If people are going to be very upset that there's a guy out there making a million dollars per game, and he's just sitting there like, "Oh, my tummy hurts." All right, let's um, let's let's move it forward to the thing that really matters for the Sixers. They have no wings, and they have a ton of <laughs> centers. And like, what the? I, I just don't understand. Like, I don't know. It, it all hinges on the Harden thing, yes, which is why it makes it hard to talk about off-season roster moves because as long as that's kind of hanging there, it's like we're all just kind of waiting. Um, do you, Austin, have any idea why Montrez Harrell, Mo Bamba, Joel Embiid, Paul Reed, and Philip Petrusev are all on the on the? Do you have any clue what's going on here? So my sense, without because the Sixers won't ever actually like, you can't get anyone that they actually confirm that information because it's just like obviously not like information going to give publicly. But my sense, looking at the Montrez Harrell contract and knowing that when players are in year two of a pl- of a minimum deal, the cap that is higher. I f- I would I would venture to say that there was incentive for the Sixers to cut him or to, for him to opt out, and then them say like you know we, if no one else bites, we will you know retire you to a, a minimum deal, and and therefore the cap hit is lower and we do benefit from that. Um, so I can see why Montrez Harrell is here for now. You know uh, when when when. You know, when training camp ends and there, you know, there's like a massive wing deficit on this team, then I think there's a, that's a time when you're like, well, why do they have this guy still? Um, as for Petrushev, I think that, you know, there was like, he wasn't going to come over unless he felt like, I, I don't know this for a fact. I'm just, from what I read, it seems like there was, you know, if he was going to come over, it was going to be because there was, you know, a, a, a deal that he would have a chance. And so I think, you know, when you look at that contract, it's going to look something like, uh, Trevor and Queen, who signed last offseason, where it's like a partial guarantee, and I think they cut him before training, before the season started. So I don't know that Petrushev will actually be here when all is said and done, when when the, when the ball tips on opening night. Um, I, I do think you're looking at like a, a backup center rotation right now, at least, at like where it's obviously Paul Reed, and then uh, it's Mo Bamba, and then you know you have Joel or. You know, whoever else might, might be there, but I mean, right now they do have five five, five centers. Yeah, because, because you know the only <laughs> the only thing that looks plausible on paper, and again, I think one of the quotes I saw on Twitter from Daryl Morey's interview today was he said, "Let's not judge the roster in July. Let's look at it when the season yeah. starts." Right, which but is, it, which is kind of which is fair, I think. But the, but the only thing that's really plausible is like that they see Paul Reed minutes at the four, like at like a significant amount of them, and like I, I do think about like Nick Nurse and what he's known for, and I, I do think that Paul Reed is a very Nick Nurse kind of player. Um, 
athletic, you know, long, disruptive, and all that stuff. I'm interested to see what he does with them. I don't know if Embiid as a five and and Reed as a four is some viable thing, but I wouldn't mind seeing it. I think the metrics said that when he was paired with a big and he played the four last year, I think his numbers were pretty good. I don't know if there was a large sample size for that, but um, I don't know. I just, I look at, I'm, I'm like, I look at a Darth of wings, D-E-A-R-T-H. You know, I'm just like, I don't know right now. I'm willing to wait, but I don't know right now, you know? Right. So, I mean, there's no denying that. Like they, don't have wings like like you know like their 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 wing rotation right now. If you consider uh, you know Bianca Melton the wing would, would be you know, Melton's like going to be there because he's a wing defender. Tobias obviously, Paul Reed, and then who? <laughs> you know no, that's uh, it. I mean it's like yeah, it's yeah. Tobias. I yeah. mean because Melton comes in and plays kind of like as a more like a two guard like a combo like tweener. I mean you got Tobias Harris and then you got no other like I don't know. I just look at like like. How Miami and Boston seem to pull these two-way wings off of off of like they grow on trees down there, you know. It's yeah. like for the six. This is the hardest thing for the Sixers to just find like an athletic like two, like two-way wing on a reasonable deal, you know. So, so one thing I wouldn't rule out is I wouldn't rule that I wouldn't rule out first and foremost them using that tax mid-level exception. I think as you get into these dog days of summer when you know, middle July guys haven't been signed yet, you're seeing a thing where it's like okay, his market clearly is dry. It's, you're better off just taking our five million dollar mid-level exception, trying to play up your value in our system, uh, and you know maybe you'll get some national TV exposure more than you were elsewhere, and you'll have a chance to make more, more money next summer. I think there's you know there's certainly a chance they could do that, um, and then I also think you know, I, there's a lot of noise at the very least uh, to the idea that Paul Reed's going to play the four. And I think with Nick Nurse. Here, like uh, you know, Mo Bamba said it in his uh, in, in his introductory press conference. Like, you know, Nick Nurse won his championship in Toronto with a double big lineup. That was a big thing they did with uh, Gasol and Sergi Baca. So, oh, okay. yeah. you know, yeah. so I mean, I, and I think Bamba is a stretch. In in theory, he's a stretch big who would work. Now, if his three point shot falls off a cliff uh, once he's playing you know, competitive games and meaningful games, and that's a big problem. If Paul Reed's three-point shot is, you know, better in theory than it is in actual practice when the lights are bright, it's another big problem. So you you are hindering a lot of these, you know, these these what ifs on the idea that like you know these things will be there when there's no track record of consistency for these guys yeah. in meaningful games. Well, there, there um, was and, and real quick too, just to the Nick Nurse point, right? Because I've said this on the show before, but the thing that kind of changed that series with the Sixers was when he put Ibaka into the starting lineup with Gasol. Yeah, that's so that lineup. I mean, they had Kyle Lowry. At a point, they had Kawhi at the two, who was a generational player, of course. Then they had mm-hmm. Siakam, and they had they had a ton of size between Siakam and Gasol and Ibaka there. For so, I'm just I look at that, and I'm just interested in seeing, like, okay, well, I, I you know what can Nick Nurse do? Um, but but that kind of wraps me into like a second question here. It's like because Kyle and I have talked about the idea of running it back. Like, is the idea of running it back palatable? Like, does changing the coach do enough? to make anybody feel better about running it back. Because my argument is that I don't think they lost the Boston series because of talent. I mean, they're five no. minutes away from winning the damn thing. Yeah. Right. So I don't think it was I, like, I, on. I think know, the, the changing the coach do enough. I think people really need to consider the fact that like, like sure. Game seven was a snoozer and Jason Tatum went on an absolute heater that he couldn't really rep- replicate at all. Again, in that playoff run, like, it was a gr- it was an all time performance that it just so happened to be against the Sixers. And, you know, they flamed out in embarrassing fashion. And that's, that's going to be the, 
the, the headline of, of the story, right? But they were also literally five minutes away. I mean, we're talking, we're not talk, even talking five minutes because they were up to. We were talking like one or two of those wide open D'Anthony Milton threes fall and you are hitting Boston with a gut punch and probably putting that game away, you know, uh, somewhere down the, down the line. So if I'm looking, if I'm, if I'm, you know, in charge of this thing, I'm saying like, look, you know, whatever our decision on Doc has to be, and maybe that was in part because of James, although at this point, James, James is gone anyway. I had trouble reading that they fired, you know, Doc because of James, despite what's been rumored and whatnot. Um, you know, if I'm them, I'm thinking like, we were so close with this. Let's give it another go with more continuity, you know, and, and, and if, you, if you don't have belief that, we, that, they, that they can beat the Celtics, then okay, then maybe they're a one seed or a two seed anyway, and they don't have to play the Celtics until the conference finals anyway, which isn't necessarily a great rebuttal because, you, you know, it's like you'd rather just tame the beast instead of just avoid them. But I, I do think there is a lot of validity to running this thing back. And then yet we reach this point where it's like, well, you know, things were looking good, and then James is on Christmas dropping the Houston thing, and that net that keeps dripping, 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 never quite going away that week. And then suddenly it's Houston is no longer an option because Udoka's there, and then now it's, oh, James wants to trade. So the, the question that we're going to be asking ourselves as media and, you know, as time goes on really forever is what actually happened to, to cause this rift between – James and his camp and, and now the Sixers and, and their front office. And what was the thing that changed how, you know, the, the sides felt about each other? Because clearly, to me, without knowing any kind of, you know, facts behind this, it seems as though James was thinking that there was going to be something there, there that was not there. He was led to believe there would be something there that, was, that ended up not being there. And that's why they're in this spot now. Well, you're talking, you're kind of hinting at the idea of like, hey, I took less money. Was there a wink, wink at the Michael Rubin party? People are wondering. <laughs> People are wondering. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, that's a good question. I, I mean, yeah, it's a fair question. Yeah, and I, and I mean, I think those are all, you know, things that you have to consider under the light of, you know, how much does Nick Nurse, his vision factor into where they felt or how they felt about James and bringing him back, you know, and, you know, because he wanted a long-term deal that was, was reported from everything that I could gather. They were like, at least from what they, from, from everything that was coming out of the Sixers was, they were like, like, you know, we, we'd be comfortable with a multi-year deal that is not a four-year max. Like, you know, if we can find something in the middle that would work fine. And then obviously that wasn't good enough when, when, when it came down to it. Um, so I do wonder like, you know, was nurse saying behind the scenes, uh, uh, you know, I don't know that this would work out between he and I. And I, I do think there's reason for him to have that thought. Like, if you look at how his his Raptors teams operated, especially the team that won the title, he likes to pick and agitate and really annoy mismatches and find the weakness and really dig at that thing until he plays it off the court. And then there's a new thing to go after. And with James Harden, he is not necessarily quick and methodical like that. He, you know, it's pick and roll. Or I got this ISO, I'm going. And, that's, and you're taking 20 seconds off the shot clock. And so I do think it's you know fair to wonder if, 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 if Nick Nurse was like, I just don't see how this is going to go. And, you know, and, you know if, if, if the NBA worked in terms of a salary structure where you could do, you know, how, like you know how Machado opted out of his deal with, with, with the Padres. Uh, and it was, like a, it was like a middle of the contract opt out. And then if you opt back in, you can, you know, stay for the next seven years. I wonder if those sort of structures were 
you know, loud in the NBA, if maybe there's a world where they can say, all right, we'll give James a two or three year deal and then opt out after year one if he and Nick feel like this isn't going to work long term. Uh, Maury did say that if there's not a deal on the table that puts the Sixers in a better position, they simply won't do it. That's like a fair deal for James Harden. <laughs> so I think this is where it gets very tricky because you're trying to keep Joel Embiid here, right? And Joel Embiid just won an MVP. He, you know, he found out, framed out in the comp- in the uh, semifinals again. He was, you know, he, he was still arguably the best player in the league in the regular season. So you're trying to appease not just not just you know you're not just trying to get value back. You're trying to take this to Joel and say, see, this works. Like, this is good. Like we're, we believe in believe in what we can do here. And they're going to be thinking, you know, how do we get something like a star level player back for this guy? And you know, because he even if though he didn't make the All Star team, he was still an All Star level player, if you ask me. So I think you're looking at a scenario where teams are like, we don't want to give this give up assets for this 33, 34, 35 year old guy who has questionable off court habits and is a is a known flame out in the playoffs. Like we, don't, you know, we don't want to sacrifice actual good value for this guy. And the Sixers like, well, hold up. We got to present this back to our best player. So, I, I think for me, as I'm thinking about it, like I need, you know, one, one or two like rotation, you know, players that fill a need, and I need one core piece of that. And, you know, if, if we want to haggle over picks and whatnot, I, I think that would be like the most robust package that you can get back. But I think they're looking at it, at the, the landscape of the NBA, and thinking, well, if we can't sign. If, we, if, if you know if guys aren't going to come here outright in free agency, we have to make a trade for a star, and maybe that's Pascal Siakam, maybe that's Zach Levine, maybe that's Damian Lillard, um, and so then you have to figure out, okay, well, we have to get these picks back and get equity that a team could want back in the trade, and then use that in tangent or in, in tandem with something else, and you get in, in, in lure that guy to Philadelphia. Now the Sixers are telling anybody who wants to listen that they are not interested in giving up Tyrese Maxey. And so, you know, and, and that, that's, that's going to be that's their stance. No matter how many times you ask, the stance doesn't change. And so that it, it, we'll see if that stance changes when, if, if Damian Lillard were to say, okay, I'll go to Philly. That, but for now, it's like no go. So I, I think it's just trying to recoup as many, you know, young guys with upside and uh, picks as you possibly can. I got one. I got one more for you. Um, you met Pat Bev only once. <laughs> you get to talk to him like outside the yeah. cameras. Pat Bev stories. He seems like the coolest dude in the world. He is awesome. That dude was funny as hell. He, uh, he he's like he's like shaking all of our hands off camera, and, and he's like he's like you know dribbling the ball around, and he gives us the whole like if 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 we're if we're winning, call me Pat. If we're losing, call me Patrick. <laughs> but, but besides that, like literally what you got on camera was the exact guy we got off camera. Like he's cursing, he's having a good time. He is who he is, genuine and authentic. And, but he was like super, super nice. Looks you right in the eyes and you're like, oh my God. <laughs> nice. 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 All right. Hey, got anything else, Kev? No, no. Thanks for coming on, man. Thanks hey, for having good me. Luck. Yeah. Good luck uh, the rest of the summer. Enjoy it because before you know it, James Harden is going to be real fat. You're going to be in the scrums. And you're going to have to ask, ask his question about his conditioning and stuff. And I can't wait for that day on Twitter. That's going to be a oh, yeah. Day. Yeah, it'll be a nice, nice deflection salad, we'll call that. Yeah. <laughs> That'll be great. Awesome. Thanks, Carl. Thanks, Thanks, man. You got anything else for today?
No, I'm good. Gonna okay. I think we can wrap it up here, and then I'm gonna jump on another call. All right. Well, we gotta. Go, someone's gotta write the Daryl Morey stuff because we'll just give a whole uh, rundown of that. So we'll probably get that up on the site and everything, and uh, and we'll go from there. All right. Sounds good. Yeah. Good show. Good stuff, everybody. Hey. Thank you to the chat. Thank you to the listeners. Thank you, chat. As always, thank you to Craig on the ones and twos. Thank you to Kev. Thank you to me. I don't say that enough. Thank you to thank me. Thank you, Pagan. Yeah, thank you. To you. I know. We, we sometimes forget. You're the host. Like, nobody ever thanks the host. Here's right? my thank you. Surely <laughs> it come from Craig. I'll tell you that. Philly fan, I've never seen a thank you. Ford, never seen a thank you from you, too. Patty McCarthy. A thankless, a thankless job. Yeah. yeah. You know, if T from the 203 was on here, he would say, what up, Pagans? That's you know? true. He would. He, he would. would. The only guy I have in my corner. Well, hey, <laughs> listen, thanks for tuning in. Uh, and we'll talk to you. Later.